0: Welcome. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a serious XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say. And so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews are with book authors book club with Michael Smirkanish is now in session annie duke is a lot of things annie duke is an author a corporate speaker and a consultant in decision making and you're wondering how can one be a consultant in decision making how do you learn how do you teach someone to make decisions well glad that you asked as a former professional poker player, Annie, you'll remember, won more than $4 million in tournament poker before retiring from the game in 2012. And before becoming a professional poker player, Annie was awarded a National Science Foundation Fellowship to study cognitive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. She's the co-founder of the Alliance for Decision Education. That's a nonprofit whose mission is to improve lives by empowering students through Decision Skills Education. She's also a member of the National Board of After School All-Stars and the Board of Directors for the Franklin Institute and the Renew Democracy Initiative. She was last year with her prior book, Thinking in Bets, and now comes the book that has just dropped this week. It is called How to Decide Simple Tools for Making Better Choices. This is Annie Duke. Hey, Annie, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Does it matter if we're talking about my tomato garden, my love life, my professional goals? Is the methodology you're about to share and that you share in the book for making a decision, is it the same?
1: So, uh, basically, under underlying every single decision uh, process-wise, you would want to really understand what a robust process was. That being said... It is actually a really important skill to understand when should I go fast and when I sh- should I go slow. So there's sometimes that you, you're going to want to take a lot more time with a decision. And there's sometimes when you're going to want to, you know, use your, you know, you can use your gut or your intuition. It's not going to be such a big deal. Uh, and that generally has to do with two things. One is if it doesn't have a lot of long-term impact on what your outcomes are going to be. But the other one that's actually a really important thing to think about is how easy is it to quit? And the easier it is to quit whatever the decision, the thing you've decided to do is, the sort of factor you can go and you can, you can essentially think about it in a different way.
0: Are there ever circumstances where Annie Duke would say, it's okay to trust your gut?
1: Well, so it, de- it depends on what you mean by that, right? So the answer is, um, yeah, if it's a super, super low stakes decision that isn't going to really matter much for your life, and particularly if I can get out of the choice, um, you know, going a little bit more gut-like would be okay. But, uh, but you want to really understand what a really good decision process looks like so that sort of in the same way as, as with habits, you can uh, understand when your gut is making really bad decisions so that you could change it. So with habits, it's like we have all these habits that run. And sometimes you want to just go look at those and you want to examine them and you want to say, hey, do I like this habit? Do I like this habit? And the ones that you like, you can allow them to kind of go their merry way. And the ones you don't like, you would want to change. The problem with gut decision-making is that it's very hard to go back and look at what your gut decided because it's, it's a black box, right? It's, it's not something where I can look and know exactly why I made the decision that I made. And so that actually makes it really hard to examine. So you want to be really, really careful about when you're allowing your gut to kind of take you away. And you, you should only be doing it in, at times when
0: it doesn't really matter if you get it wrong. What if, what if I'm in, say, Yellowstone, and I'm in a hurry, and there's a bison nearby, and my gut says, <laughs> get out of the car, and you can get him to move?
1: See, that's the exact time when you should actually use your gut. You should not use your gut. No gut. So that's actually a really good example of where your gut is going hey, to get Hey, but by the way, tell vastly. everybody why,
0: why am I bringing this up?
1: All right. So <laughs> the, reason, the reason that you're bringing this up is that one of the really important things about decision making is a willingness to guess. And I think that a lot of times the reason why we use our gut is because we feel like we don't know the right answer. And so what we say is I'm just going to go with my gut or you might say I'm not going to try at all. So, so an example would be If you have, uh, if you're, if there's a bison on the road and you want to guess how much the bison weighs, I suppose that you could say, I don't know. Or I suppose you could kind of go with your gut. But what you really want to do is actually think about what are the things that I do know so that I can think about how could I get to to a better guess. So when you ask someone like about the weight of a bison um, and you really press them on it and you say, you're not allowed to say, I don't know you can 't say that, what would you actually say? you know most people will guess somewhere between like eight hundred pounds and two thousand pounds because um, they kind of know a lot about uh, how much bison weigh and this is actually an incredibly important decision skill, and the reason why it's a really important decision skill is that when you make a decision it's actually a prediction of the future if you think about it right if i if I make a simple decision like um, i 'm going to choose between the chicken and the fish. Uh, for what I want to have for dinner, uh, inherent in that decision, just implied in the decision, is that if I choose the chicken, I think that my future is going to be happier for having done so. And if you're going to be making predictions about the future, which is what decisions are, then you have to be clear about what you're predicting, which means that you have to be willing to guess about how likely things are to occur or how much things weigh or what the implications for how things weigh is going to have on you, because that will knock it out of your car so that you don't end up getting chased down by a bison that weighs like 2,000
0: pounds. The book is called How to Decide. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from SiriusXM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Welding instructor
1: Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their
0: skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the internet essentials program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive.
1: Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities.
0: Listen to Michael live, weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. The book is called How to Decide. Are you sure that you can teach me, the reader, how to make better decisions? Is this not like grit or painting or playing the violin? Is it a gift or is it something that can be acquired? Well, you know,
1: the title of my last book was Thinking and Bet. So I'm going to say I'm making a pretty big bet on the concept that I can teach you to be a better decision maker. And the reason that I can teach you to be a better decision maker is that most people haven't thought about how they make decisions at all. This is true even when I talk to, like, CEOs, right? And uh, the answers about how they make decisions are really kind of all over the map. There will be people making pros and cons lists or people saying I go with my gut or people saying I decide by consensus. Um, And if you actually can think about what is a good decision process, and you understand what it is. I mean, this is what the real problem is, is that we don't really understand if I were to construct a good decision, what would it look like? Because it's not something that's taught in like K-12 education. So just the fact that I can show you some of the things that you might want to think about, and also I can show you some of the errors that you're going to make, like resulting or hindsight bias or confirmation bias, and I can point those out to you and offer you some real tools to be able to overcome those. You're going to be a better decision maker. The way that I would put it is, um, if I just hand you a bunch of wood, yeah, you you know, you're probably not going to be able to make a good bureau out of it or a dresser out of it. But if I give you the right tools, if I give you some nails and a screwdriver and you know maybe maybe an electric drill um, and you know a table saw, and I actually show you how to use those tools, I can get you to make a, a dresser. Now. Obviously, that's not to say that there's not some talent involved. Some people are going to make better dressers than others, and that's true. Some people are just going to be better decision-makers than others, but I can show you how to do it, and that's going to mean you're going to build a better dresser, and that's going to really matter for your life.
0: You said a moment ago you used the uh, the verbiage, hindsight, bias. There are a couple of things that you use in the book that I want you to define because I think they'll they'll provide information just through your explanation. What is decision stacking? And and then I'll ask about hindsight bias.
1: Yeah, so decision stacking is actually a really important concept. It's something that we naturally do sometimes, don't think about it intentionally. So what is it? Well, you know, a lot of times we have these very high-impact decisions that are really, really hard for us to change. So if they don't work out, it's really going to matter. Because if they don't work out, it's going to be pretty bad for us. And it's going to be hard for us to kind of get out of the situation. Um, and then there are other decisions which are pretty low impact and they're pretty easy to get out of. So so uh, the classic example would be a date is much more low impact and easier to get out of if it doesn't go well than getting married. Right. So um, so when you're dating, you're doing this natural decision stacking, which is um, I'm dating a whole bunch of people. Any given person that I date, it's probably not going to have too big an impact on my happiness if the date doesn't go well. And, you know, I can always have my friend call me in the middle and tell me there's an emergency. But if I get married, obviously, this is going to have a lot of impact on my life. And uh, it's it's hard to unwind a marriage. So we do that naturally. That's also like renting versus buying. Um, But what we can do is actually kind of retrofit that and say, if we have a decision that's coming up that we know is going to be really, really important. And I know it's going to be really hard for me to get out of it. Let me try to think about how can I make smaller, lower impact, easier to quick decisions in front of it. In other words, I want to stack those in front of the big decision that I'm going to have to make so that I can start to gather some information and I can know more about what the right answer will be once I get to that big decision. How
0: about my old school system of pulling out a yellow legal pad and drawing a line down the center of it? one side being pluses and the other side being minuses?
1: Please stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's my short answer. Um, here's, here's the longer answer. Yeah. As you call, I said all decisions are predictions of the future, right? So uh, there's two things that we want to know in a good decision process. One is we want to know what are, what are the good things that can happen and what are the bad things that can happen. Now, you might say, well, that's exactly what a pros and cons list is telling you. Except that it doesn't tell you how bad or how good it is. So we all have goals and what we're trying to do is gain ground, right? Mo- get movement toward our goals and not ground um, away from our goals. And so a pros and cons list, because it's just listing pros and cons, you don't have any sense of for any of those pros or cons, like how much gain is, how much ground is it going to help me to gain or how little ground uh, or, you know, how is it going to cause me to lose ground? Why, how much. And we really want to know that because that gives us a better view of what the future is. Like it really matters if some, you know, you're going to get a hangnail or you're going to lose your finger. And both of those are occupying the same space. Like they look kind of the same on the pros and cons list because you're just counting them up. And we want to actually be able to weight those pros and cons. The other thing that's missing from a pros and cons list is how likely is something to happen. Um, and we really need that when we're predicting the future, right? It really matters if of the time we're going to have good stuff happen to us and 30% of the time we're going to have bad stuff happen to us or 60% of the time or 40% of the time we're going to have good stuff happen to us and maybe 60% of the time we'll have bad stuff happen to us. And that's also not contained in the pros and cons list. So that creates a problem, which is I don't really know how to compare the two sides. So then what ends up happening is that pros and cons lists just end up being like what I would call a tool of cognitive bias that if you kind of want to do the um, thing that you're considering, then you'll just, like, figure out a way to put a bunch of pros on there and, like, not have so many cons on there so that the pro side of the list was bigger. And if you kind of don't want to do it, you'll just do the opposite. So it's actually a – it it is a decision tool, but it's a pretty bad one, and people will be better off if they didn't use them.
0: So last weekend I had to make a decision as to whether I was going to take the Eagles with the points. They were getting eight eight and a half, and I, I took the eight and a half. And the Steelers ended up winning by nine. So I lost the bet. And I then said to myself, damn it, I knew it all along. I knew the Steelers were going to win that game and win by more than eight and a half. And yet I did it. Was that hindsight bias?
1: Well, first of all, just, and this is, as an eagles fan just don't bet on the eagles right now not this season that's, right that's, that's decision number one
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes agree that's
1: decision number one no but yeah that's exactly that's exactly hindsight bias it's actually a combination of resulting and hindsight bias so what are those two um with resulting what we do is if we lose we think it was a, a bad decision if we win we think it was a good decision but right. there's a little bit of what's happening yeah. there yeah uh, and then you get this thing called hindsight bias which is what you just pointed out which is you you feel like you knew it before like I knew it I knew, but of course you didn't know it, because if you knew it, you wouldn't have made the bet. I'd have taken the Steelers. So one of the most, yeah, exactly, you would have bet the Steelers. So um, this happens to us all the time, actually. We find out stuff after the fact, and then we start to think that we knew it before the fact. And one 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 of the best examples of this around right now is the way people think about Hillary Clinton having lost Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania in 2016. So first of all, there's a little bit of resulting going on, which is everybody thinks she made a really big mistake um, by not having spent a lot of time in those three states. Um, But I would argue that's actually just resulting in the same way that you just did with your bet, because the information that she had available to her at the time of course was the polls, and we know there was a polling error, but the fact is that you can't find out about a polling error until after the vote has been taken. So it's only something that you could know after the fact, and you could maybe make the argument that she should have known it, except nobody else spotted it either. People weren't talking about that as a possibility beforehand. So so it's resulting. But the other thing that happens is that people act like she should have known. That's the hindsight bias. People People act like, of course, well, you know, everybody knew about this polling error, and everybody was saying at the time, that he should have been campaigning in the Rust Belt. But that's
0: actually not true. I, I like thinking about the political application of the book. By the way, this is Annie Duke. The book is How to Decide Simple Tools for Making Better Choices. You have said that this administration would be the worst poker player if you don't bet it tells you something just as significant as if you do. What does that mean? Oh, gosh. Well, so uh, I'll
1: tell you – so. Here's the thing. When you're, when you're making decisions and when you're, when you're acting a particular way, a lot of times the stuff that you don't do is just as telling as the stuff that you do um, actually do. So, But we have this really big bias, which is that we think that it's just the things that we do that matter. We think that it's the things that we do that are giving people signals. Um, and a part of being a really great poker player is understanding that the things that you don't do are actually – often stronger single signal than the things that you do i'll give you a really really simple example of this so as you recall a couple of thursdays ago actually i think exactly was it exactly two weeks ago or three i don't know time seems to compress right now in the pandemic and the election but i think it was two weeks ago um that uh donald trump called up sean hannity and said that he was waiting for his test
0: result. yep i remember yeah
1: okay right so it's It's interesting because I I actually was in some chats with some people, and they were like, um, oh, I guess we're going to find out if Donald Trump has coronavirus. And I wrote back and said, well, he does have coronavirus uh, at least as much as we would know whether the rapid test had a false. And so I guess at what the false negative rate of the rapid test would be, and I'm going to guess it's probably around 10-ish percent or something. I'm not exactly sure of that, but I'm going to guess it's 87% that he has coronavirus. And they said, why? He's waiting for his test results. And I said, because of what he didn't say. If he's waiting for his test results, that's wait- that means he's waiting for the PCR mm-hmm. test result, which does take a while. But that means that he had a rapid test because they have rapid tests in the White House. Now, if that rapid test were negative, what he would have said to Sean Hannity was, I got a negative rapid test. So I probably don't have it. I'm just waiting for the PCR to confirm that. But he didn't say that. What he said was I'm waiting for I'm waiting for the PCR test basically. At which point I for I knew that he had to have gotten a positive rapid test. So that's why like these things that you don't say are really really important. Like you need to hear those things cuz that's often the best
0: signal. And that is how you win 4 million dollars playing poker. <laughs>
1: Right. <laughs> well, I don't know. I suppose I have the text to prove that I was saying it was eighty times. They said he had coronavirus.
0: <laughs> Annie, I loved. I loved the book. I loved the uh, the practical applicability of it. Can we also plug the recorded version? Oh, uh,
1: so I would love to because you can tell people where I recorded that. Yeah,
0: version. <laughs> please. I, I, I want. I want them to know.
1: Yeah, so here's what happened. So obviously, the, so when I recorded thinking in bet, you know, I went up to New York and I went had have, have really nice recording studios and you go and you record there. And, you know, I did a few day, days there. So now we get to this book, how to decide and I have to figure out where to record it. Um, and they're, they're saying, well, we can, we can have you come to a studio and we promise everybody will have masks on. They'll be really safe or, you know, and I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. Can't I just you know, record it from home? And they said, well, the sound quality isn't going to be that good. So now I'm trying to think about, well, what's a safe place for me to record? And I immediately thought, well, I know that the only two people who have been in um, Michael's studio are Michael and TC. And I know that they're being really safe. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check in and see if maybe Michael wouldn't lend me to studio to be able to come in and actually record my book so I think there were like six different sessions where after you were done um, you left the studio TC wiped everything down with lysol flakes you know the counter
0: everything she, she and I does, came she, in and spent she three she hours does in that even studio. when it's not a pandemic I do that all the time I swab the decks <laughs> for you Annie and I sat here and listened and I have to say how to decide is is such an impactful book. I think it will make a difference in everybody's life. I truly do. I think Annie made a very wise decision in using this studio. She does make good decisions, Michael, (laughs) doesn't doesn't she? (laughs) Yes, she does. Yes, she does. (laughs) Annie, we wish you all good things with the book. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I just wanted wanted to add, I want to say two things. First of all, I just want to say how grateful I am that you let me use your studio, because I've been very careful during coronavirus. Um, and the second thing I just wanted to say, because I wanted to just circle back for a second to the to the Trump thing, is that I, I, I would like to put to you, because you know the concept of resulting, I'd like to ask you, do you think that the campaign strategy that Trump is using as sort of his closing, right, like all these big rallies, is actually a case of resulting? Do you think it's resulting? In other words, let me say, that worked for him in 2016. So do you think that he's saying, well, I won – when my strategy was to go to all these rallies. So therefore, that must have been a really great decision. So I'm going to do that again.
0: I do in part. And secondly, I think that it's too late for him to go at it any other way because for the last four years, he never, he never sought to grow that tent. And so he mm-hmm. can only go back to the base. And what I've said on air many times is that it's like squeezing an orange or squeezing a lemon or a grapefruit. There's only so much pulp you can get out of it And in the changing demographic nature of this country, I I just don't think there's enough pulp left there for him. But soon we're going to figure it out. 18 days, we're going to figure it out. Hey, He would have
1: done well with my book because I would have told I would have said, think about your two options, right? Base activation or base expansion and figure out which one is going to be the best one for actually getting you the presidency. And then you could actually work out using a pros and cons list well, which if, option was going to work if, out better. If
0: if he loses and these polls are accurate, then I think hindsight bias will kick in and he'll say, "See, I told you it was the pandemic and the fake news."
1: But but you because you just stated out loud, you'll be able to say that's not why because I said why beforehand.
0: Right. Well, I'll practice some decision hygiene. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got a roll. Good luck. It's called How to Decide. Annie Duke. Annie Duke, who, by the way, knows Donald Trump. Who knows Donald Trump? Wrote the book. Thank you, Annie. Thank you. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program. Weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at
1: Smirconish.com.